Hi everyone, this is Maxine Ryan with Prosper Podcast, and today's guest is Dr. Nick Almond, who is the protocol leader and founder of Finance Vote. Nick, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited for you to talk to us today about you know, how to run a decentralized organization, um, what you're building on DeFi and everything in between. Um, we know that crypto has so many different scams out there and it's really hard to kind of separate between innovation and um, yeah, I guess vaporware. So I'm really looking forward to having you on this podcast to discuss the structures of finance vote um, and what you guys are putting into place in DeFi to make it fair and accessible to everybody. Um, so yeah, welcome. Thank you very much, Maxine. Thank you for having yeah. me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I always like to ask people what their journey was into crypto, because it's always different. Um, I'm always surprised by the answer. And I think it just gives a bit of a color about, uh, it gives some color to your background and how you got introduced to this space. So take it away. Thanks. Um, yeah, it's quite a long story, this one. I think, um, so my crypto story, I think it, it comes starts as I sort of finished my sort of time in physics. So I spent 10 years studying as a physicist, um, spent quite a bit of time in experimental physics and realized that kind of the kind of experimental work that that kind of ends up with, you, you end up sort of iterating around very sort of difficult knowledge uh, sort of paths and, and sort of realized it wasn't really for me. And, and I ended up working in education for the next 10 years. So I left physics and I worked in astrophysics for a little bit, um, specializing in science outreach and then I got a job as a mathematician and, and uh, teaching maths. And my first course was number theory. And that's a lot of that's about cryptography. So it was about 10 years ago now, I was teaching cryptography to a group of students and desperately trying to find things that made it a bit more real and um, discovered Bitcoin and sort of said, this is going to change the world. Um, for, unfortunately, I didn't get any of it at that time. You could only mine it. But um, yeah, so that, that, that's where the kind of story starts, I suppose. And after that, I sort of trended into working my way up the kind of academic ladder as a senior management. I ended up as a sort of a sort of director, associate dean level. I'm working in governance and organizations and trying to figure out how to get people to organize at scale. And that's when I kind of really fell down the rabbit hole. I was building a kind of governance system at the same time that the, the DAO happened. Mm -hmm. And, and when the concept of DAOs sort of got into my head, I realized we could take some of these organizational processes into the open internet and yeah. do sort of massive open collaboration that the world's never seen before. And yeah, I've just been completely obsessed ever since. And yeah, just there hasn't been a day when I haven't been reading something about crypto or involved in it. And, you know, I, I was sometime in the middle of 2020, it was DeFi summer. And I sort of put together a, a sort of white paper and a deck and we raised the money for finance.vote to get kickers off and off the ground. And I sort of amassed a little bit of a team over that year, um, sort of hunting around for really talented developers. And, and yeah, since then it's been full-time crypto um, and a little bit crazy, but yeah, a bit of a windy yeah. tale, but um, no, no, it's, um, I think what you said about like going down the rabbit hole and this obsession that just occurs in somebody who stumbles across like crypto, because I was in a very similar situation where um, I was studying international relations. I thought I was going to, you know, join the government and just the bureaucracy, the inability mm -hmm. for action um, was really something that was bothering me. And when I came across Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, I was like, this is the answer. And, you know, the obsession starts. So um, I think like something that's really been like a reoccurring theme in the guests that we've had on here is that, um, you know, they see a problem that hasn't had any solutions. And now with kind of the birth of cryptocurrency, this whole world is like entirely possible and it's so exciting. Um, you know, so you mentioned DAOs and I thought it was great to have you on to talk exactly like to talk to us exactly about what a DAO is, right? And yes. maybe what the state of um, blockchain governance is up until now. Um, if you could give us kind of like, you know, what it is now, how DAOs came about, like where they need to improve and just kind of paint the landscape for us, that'd be great. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we're just coming out of the 
our sort of phase of blockchain governance, which has been about governance minimization. So this is the idea that you build blockchain systems that you try to eliminate humans as much as possible. So what, what you're trying to do is, is sort of trend everything towards to being automated software. You're eliminating humans because humans are corruptible. And ultimately, they always lead to the same thing. It leads to capture and collapse and, and humans make mistakes. But automated software doesn't. It's open source software and it's all auditable. It's all super transparent. Um, and that works for things like Bitcoin. So Bitcoin makes sense as a really hardened governance minimization system where essentially it's automated software, very rigorous access requirements for changing the code base. And then when it does, it kind of goes out to this uh, sort of game theoretic battleground where you need to lobby for hashing power and only the miners can change the, the core software. Um, and that's great for protocol layer governance. But when you start to try to do more complex stuff that is more human orientated, that you want to be more agile. So we've seen that Bitcoin doesn't really upgrade that much. Um, it's very slow, it's clunky, and it's intentionally like that. Whereas when we've seen in the DeFi space, rapid iteration, rapid innovation is the name of the game. So because of that, you need far more complex governance procedures. You need to be able to iterate on the protocol very quickly. Um, and essentially, if you're trying to move into this kind of post-money era of crypto, um, you need humans. If you're replacing centralized entities like banks and, and uh, financial services, you're replacing that centralized entity with, with the people. So for me, the, the next era of, of governance in the crypto space is how we bring more people in to, to changing, the, changing the protocol layer. Um, and one of the key components of that, the kind of core primitive I see where it's going is this idea of a, a DAO. Um, so the, the, the first DAO, if you like, was, was merely a smart contract which facilitate people to pool money and then vote on how it got spent, which, which ended catastrophically. Um, and it, it made Ethereum hard fork because, you know, there was something, a huge amount of the Ethereum supply was locked in this thing yeah. and smart contracts failed and this one did. And it kind of really threw people off the DAO concept for a number of years. Um, but as DeFi emerged, the, you know, there was MakerDAO, one of the first sort of um, projects in DeFi that showed that governance could happen that was a little bit more it's a little bit more elaborate than we're just doing everything with automated software. It wasn't proof of work. It's a smart contract-oriented system. Um, and now these things have started to flourish, and we're seeing lots of DAOs emerge, and they're kind of like decision-making hubs. Hmm. And, and what they are is, is not really being defined yet. So it's an organizational concept at the moment, and it's, it's very much in the process of being defined. So it can be many things, um, but they're going to be smart contract-orientated systems that are driven by voting, they're driven by social consensus, um, and you know, they're, they're intended to be as minimized as possible, but there's this sweet spot, which I like to think of yeah. as a kind of governance optimization approach. Yeah, that's um, that's very interesting. I think that when people hear DAO, um, they go, okay, like how much human involvement is in this? And I think that when I think about a DAO, I think of it as a really elegant way to structure human activity in a decentralized way where you don't kind of just centralize all of like, you know, the power, which is usually where the money is on, you know, a key few people. And it's more so distributed in a way, it's like distributed through the human network of the protocol itself. And something that's yeah. been something that's really been missing. Um, so, you know, like explain, I mean, you've already explained what a DAO is, but how do you, what are the governance issues that are occurring um, that you think DAOs could fix? And I understand that, mm. you know, for different protocols, for different projects, there's different DAOs for different reasons. Like if you are maybe running like a legal company and you want to have a DAO, that might be more about smart contracts. If you have maybe something like a social DAO, it's more about, you know, how projects are going to be funded. Um, but I think that on a core level, like what are the governance issues that DAOs are looking to solve for protocols? Yeah, so 
it, it, it's this, it's the kind of process for plugging humans into these systems. Mm. So um, moving slightly away from this purely automated software paradigm into a more, into a more social layer. So that comes with all the problems that humans come with now. So you, you get, we these are kind floored. Of, uh, <laughs> we are, we are difficult customers and, and yeah, we tend to break things and, Consequently, we're, we're moving into this phase where there's these kind of iterative attempts at improving them over time. And we're at this very early phase where there's a few key issues that have emerged that I could sort of pinpoint as, as things that are there to be improved. So at the moment, we're kind of stuck in this purely plutocratic system where we've got this one token, one vote paradigm where um, there needs to be a quorum of people that agree on something and, and that allows the, the system to change. But that ultimately tends to mean that who holds the tokens holds the power. Um, and it can lead to this issue where there's this um, really sort of like fat tailed distribution where only a tiny amount, like a handful of people can, can, change the, can change the future. And there's been some interesting examples where certainly the Uniswap um, uh, thing that happened recently with the DeFi education fund, it sort of transpired that, you know, people had proposed, uh, made a proposal, voted for themselves, and two or three actors or a handful of yeah. actors had managed to push that proposal through. And when you've got a long tail of token holders, really those those smaller token holders, and you're talking you need millions of dollars in order to tangibly influence these um, systems. And um, I think there's there's a need to address that that issue to move away from purely plutocratic power um, in those systems. There's typically really high barriers to entry, so people are very concerned about governance attacks. So you can you know buy a load of tokens out of the mm. the market and then and break the system by pushing a an undesirable change. Um, so consequently, like in Compound, for example, you need it was I think they might have just lowered it a little bit, but it was about uh, 1% of the token supply, which was in the tens of 30, 40 million dollars in order yeah. to, to make a tangible change. Um, so, and we've got these sort of systems that are emerging. So they're heavily gated towards people with a lot of money. They're very clunky. The, the governance processes that are there are heavily weighted towards people with technical knowledge. So you'll find a lot of the proposals are core devs saying, I think we should do this. And everyone just goes, yeah, okay because they don't understand the, the, the process what the process yeah. yeah so if we're trying to move into this game of bringing communities into in, to have power there needs to be better governance systems for bringing in people giving people a real voice in the system um so yeah i think we're we're at that that sort of point where it's very early they're very clunky sometimes they break there's lots of smart contract failures um and we're, we're just moving into this process where we can start to actually hand off power to a larger group of people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're very early and there's, there's quite a lot of work to do, I think. Yeah, I think what you said was quite interesting where it's like the first stage was the protocol. The second stage is like trying to see what a doubt looked like on an experimental level and we're still there. And the results yep. so far has been a centralization of power to, I guess, almost like the founders or like the core developers of the protocol yep. a lot of the time. What's your answer to the question of like, well, you know, first come, first serve, they're the ones who created the protocol. Mm -hmm. um, you know, shouldn't be, shouldn't it be that the ones who, you know, built the thing should probably have more say than the public? Or are you seeing it that, you know, blockchains and like protocols are kind of being like elevated to on a societal level where that structure can no longer be just the core people that created it. Like, you know, we're talking about a fabric here. It's not just like a one road, one, yeah, one rule system, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think that, so yes, absolutely. I think the people that launched the next, so we conceptualize, conceptualize ourselves at finite.vote as the launch team. So yeah. there's this process that that bootstraps a network into existence and necessarily the people who are building the core technologies understand it best and they should absolutely have the most power for a period of time. And then there's, there's typically a kind of emission rate of the tokens that happens over time, sometimes over, there was a vogue for a while where they all just get 
emitted in a few weeks, but it makes more sense for this to happen over multiple years. And and that's the that's the power transitioning to the crowd. So the the token emissions is a good way to slowly distribute the power out to the market and out to distributed longer tail of participants. Um, and we've taken a kind of multi-phase approach and all, all decentralization should be progressively decentralized. So all of these systems, it makes sense to start with uh, as dictatorships, essentially. Yeah. And then <laughs> benevolent as, as dictatorships. <laughs> benevolent dictatorships. And um, that power then needs to be handed off over time. And we're trying to build token-based voting systems that we will hand off that power as and when it's appropriate to do so. And, and part of that is technological and part of that is building a community and contributors that understand the systems itself. It's a bad idea to pass the power over to an organization when people don't know how it runs, they don't understand the mechanics of it. Um, so it's a progressive uh, stepwise process where the end game is that all the management keys are destroyed and everything is run in this purely distributed manner. But for me, this is a this is a kind of slow and, and steady process. And, and we've seen some people rush into it and it go wrong. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think there's we we it's this process of building a community, getting them to understand how everything works, building systems that are understandable. Mm-hmm. Um, so we try to build um, systems which are kind of tunable as the midpoint. So we've got parameters in the system that are like dials that people can modify and change the monetary policy and are easy to understand so we have to go to the crowd a little bit as well yeah. um so I, yeah I nice and wait. slow yeah i can't wait to get into like exactly what um power means in a structure of a dao because i know that you know um finance.vote you have like three pillars and we'll go into exactly what those are um but you know finance.vote you guys are Finance vote. You guys are a DAO yourself, right? So, how far are you in the process of DAOifying yourself? Yeah. So we've taken quite a slow and steady approach to it. Um, there wasn't really any DAO patterns that fit our that fit the design that we wanted to to build. So we're, we're building our own DAO, DAO patterns around us. And so there's these kind of off the shelf frameworks that you can use that are. It's like setting up an organization with someone else's bureaucracy and mm. and they're they're difficult to change um iterating around those smart contracts is quite difficult so we we've basically scheduled three phases where the second is where our, our dow treasury system opens up and we start to uh, integrate those um decentralized decision making processes so for the first bit we've basically said we're not gonna create the hardened DAO processes just yet. We're letting ourselves self-organize, um, letting the applications that we've developed ossify a little bit so we understand them and slowly start transitioning that. We've not opened our token treasury up yet. Um, so we're taking it very slowly and we intend to build the DAO around us, if you like. Yeah. Um, so we've, we've, we're in this kind of self-organization phase at the moment where we're, we're building up competency in our Discord, getting the community to understand what we're doing. And at the moment, we've just got little elements of our applications which can be tuned by voting. So changing the monetary policy, changing our liquidity mining processes, that kind of stuff. Um, so we're, we're early days, but we intentionally so. We didn't rush into it because we want to build the DAO around us over time and do so in a way that we other people can follow behind us very easily. So we want to be able to build this kind of modular framework where people can build bespoke DAO systems for whatever they need. Um, so we're taking a time, um, uh, but we've started doing our governance votes and we've started getting the users materially changing the system. And that, that kind of progresses out to this kind of mega DAO thing that we've got planned over the next year or so. That sounds really exciting. Um, have the people that have, you know, or like has the participants of your DAO done something that maybe you didn't personally agree with? <laughs> have you had a circumstances um, where like the crowd maybe have decided on something that you as kind of the protocol leader has had, you know, maybe some question marks about? Um, yes, I think that, so we, we <laughs> um, yeah, right from the very beginning, the, the, the users chose our token ticker name that yeah. we didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> they, they chose it very, 
very organic. Um, so yeah, right from the beginning, we we've got the users to to really take ownership of of taking us in that direction. Um, I mean, we've not exposed any decision making to the crowd yet um, that we we would consider a risk to the system. Yeah. It's things like cosmetic stuff, directional stuff. So we hold priority votes where we ask the users to. We've got this kind of roadmap that's non-linear. So we let the users say, what do you want us to do next? And they shape our development trajectory by delegating what they think our priorities should be. Um, but we haven't yet opened up the ability for them to take us off into a completely different direction. Yeah. So everything that we've given so far has had these ranges on where we've got kind of, we've got from like, we call it zero to YOLO, where we've yeah. got like... <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Don't change anything to let's try something a bit crazy, but we won't let it go to um, to a to a thing that that would jeopardize the whole system. Yeah. Um, so not quite high risk. We can do, have decisions that we think we'd probably do it slightly differently, but the community wants it that way, um, yeah. and we'll we'll hand more and more power like that over to the users over the next months. Yeah. Um... Okay, so does that mean that you're hoping that by the time you've kind of passed everything over to the community to, I guess, essentially manage, that you've kind of like consolidated like a way of the DAO that kind of self-organizes itself already, right? So that's, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. So, so we, 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 for example, we've just had a vote or we're just about to launch a vote with of, of our principles. So mm. the principles of the DAO, the, we use our voting system, create a sort of priority list, and that defines what we will do and what we won't do. Yeah. Um, and so the, these are kind of almost like philosophical direction of the DAO and what that will do will stay within that, within that scope. But our technology, we use this kind of test, iterate, and ossify approach where we're, we're testing it seeing if it works iterating it to the point where it where it's working nicely and it can be decentralized properly and then we sort of fix it and that's when we hand over the 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 the, the ability to manage those contracts to the crowd yeah okay that that makes sense um so i don't think we actually got into this right at the beginning of the podcast but can you explain to us exactly what finance vote is yeah um so we're uh we're a, we're a system that's it's fundamentally about decentralization. It's about building new kind of decentralized democracies. So we've got this idea of digital democracy that we're trying to build. And it's essentially like collaboration technology. So we're trying to build um, digital democracies, which at the moment are in scope to manage financial systems. Mm -hmm. So um, I've been very interested in how we can use, you know, use blockchains, voting technologies to reach consensus in ways that we never have before. And the lowest hanging fruit for me is, is DeFi. Yeah. So it's um, that's where the adoption is. That's where these new democracies, new kinds of governance is going to emerge first. So we're, we're trying to build the kind of Google app suite for, for DAOs. Um, and we've got, you know, hand, about half a dozen applications at the moment with a sort of dozen or so planned and very much like Google Apps, where you've got these pick and mix sort of tools that you can use as an organization, that, that's what uh, we're creating specifically for DAOs. Wow. So essentially, are you thinking about finance vote being a governance layer that's on top of all protocols that are out there? So we, we have a, a blockchain agnostic philosophy so we, we've already started going multi-chain where we, we've got deployments on polygon and and binance smart chain um which has been challenging but yeah we, we imagine this down to sit across protocols we're, we're huge fans of ethereum and you know we've been obsessed on ethereum for many years and that will always be our home chain we think yeah um but we we do anticipate that um this will be a multi-protocol um a system that that's genuinely blockchain agnostic that moves where the action is. So where there's adoption, where people need governance, we can we can build that that those processes over there. So you know, I think something that like the, one of the reasons why I ended up connecting with you on Twitter was because 
I posted something about quadratic voting and how that would be really interesting to kind of experiment with the DAO system because we know that there's been DAOs out there where you know, the existing idea of democracy has not really played out that well. Um, mm -hmm. Why do you think that, you know, this like one person, one vote system or democracy as we know it doesn't really work that well uh, when we're talking about DAOs? Yeah, and I, I think it's fair to say it doesn't really work that well in the real world as well. I mean, yeah, yeah. So we, there's democracy is this fluid concept. You know, it's it's this idea that the people rule and largely that we're stuck in this issue of admin. So the reason why we only have elections every four years is because they're super expensive and super difficult to administrate. And even then, sometimes people don't believe the outcome and, and because they're not very auditable. And we, we've kind of got stuck in the idea of that we should transition what we know, democracy, into the DAO space. Um, and it's flawed there, so it's going to be potentially even more flawed in the decentralized world, which has different rules of the game and, and, and different challenges. Um, so yeah, I mentioned it earlier, but it's this idea of, of pure plutocracy as, as not necessarily ideal. And then we've been exploring this kind of delegative processes where we pick these characters who are gonna make decisions for us and you can delegate your votes to them, who themselves are potentially corruptible or just influencers. You know, they're not necessarily the people, they're the people with the the loudest presence on social media doesn't necessarily mean they're the right people to be making the decisions in decentralized systems. So, yeah, we've been exploring quadratic voting, um, which is it kind of attack connects democracy and decision making to economics. Okay. So it's this idea that you can instead of just one person, one vote, you can have more votes if you buy them. So. If you want to have two votes, it's two squared and it's $4, let's say, for example. Um, and if you want a thousand votes, it's going to be a million dollars. So it kind of goes exponentially um, uh, costly for every subsequent vote. And this means that you can be super rich, but you can't have a huge amount more voting power than the, than the little guy. Um, and we use something slightly different than that because we don't necessarily just buy votes. We use um, a kind of mod a modified version of it, which gives a budget of voice credits to, to participants. And we use NFTs to give people, let's say, 100 voice credits. And we give people a list of things that they can vote on. So um, one of the issues with the way that Glenn Whale and Eric Posner proposed it is they had this idea that you could have if you would apply it to the real world, sequential referenda, where you could, if you really cared about education, you could vote five times on a kind of education policy and maybe six times on healthcare. And, and you kind of don't really know what referenda are coming. So you don't know mm -hmm. how to apportion your votes. So we use something we call semantic ballot voting, which is we give you a ballot with a list of, of tags on and we promote people to sort them. So what our voting system does is find people's preferences. Um, so what we, it kind of enforces preference. So in classic survey design, you can strongly agree on everything. And, and that yeah. kind of breaks the whole thing. But in this, you can't do that because if you strongly agree, you've used all your votes up. So what we've got is a, a sort of social consensus system, which finds out what everyone's preferences is and then compiles it so we know what the community wants in priority order. Uh, and we think that's a good stepwise change into, into new democratic ideas. Yeah, I, um, I often thought that this, I mean, it might not be like fully related, but, you know, I've always had an issue with, you know, paying my taxes and then not knowing exactly where my taxes are being distributed. Mm -hmm. And I thought it would be a really interesting model where society can actually vote where their tax dollar goes on government spending. Mm -hmm. And I think that you'd be able to see that people just care about certain issues and they care less about other issues. And you shouldn't kind of force them to participate in issues that they're apathetic about. And I think that's yeah. where the idea of voice credits becomes very interesting because it allows you a way to be very active in you know, a, uh, I guess like anything that you're actually interested in and it kind of allows kind of voting to be ordered, um, I think in a more preferential way. 
Yeah, that, that's right. And and it's, it was originally conceptualized to give minority voices um, power. So it, to avoid this kind of tyranny of the majority problem. So there might be a meaningful minority that, that needs their rights addressed, but because they're in the minority, they can't get votes through. Um, so quadratic voting is is this really interesting idea for allowing people to amplify their voice when they're a minority, um, which applies really nicely to this token vote idea because you might have a small amount of tokens, but it allows you to express strong preferences um, outside of the this plutocratic power. Yeah, so um, I know that quadratic voting is like a big part of what you guys are doing at Finance Vote. Um, and I think from your website, I saw that you guys have three core pillars, and that's a lot to do with market discovery and price prediction, um, second layer governance and decentralized social trading, which I think is really interesting. I can't wait to get to that part. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, what is market dis uh, discovery and price prediction and why is that important on this DAO layer that you're building? Yeah, so when, when we were conceptualizing what, what would a DAO need? in order to be a success in the, in the crypto space. And a big part of it is the, the DAO needs market intelligence. So DAOs are implicitly um, involved in handling crypto assets, launching crypto assets, potentially managing them. Um, and in order to, to understand what crypto assets they want to engage with, um, you need to find out which ones are the good ones. And, and permissionless systems, um, there's... I think there was over 100,000 tokens in the last year. Um, there's 4,000 4, rug pulls a day yeah. on some of these side chains. So um, this, this pillar is about um, how we can use our voting technologies and some price discovery systems to find out what tokens are, are good to, as a kind of filtering mechanism. So to use consensus to, to filter out all the crap and let the good stuff float to the top. And also this idea of, of DAOs will want to issue new tokens, mm -hmm. um, maybe NFTs or, or fungible tokens. So we've got an auction system, which is about um, price discovery. So we've developed a new kind of auction mechanism. for We launched our own token with this. And it's literally allows um, tokens to be emitted by DAOs and make their own markets in completely decentralized ways. Um, so that's what that kind of prediction and market discovery bit is. Um, so we're going to have um, our, our voters, for example, are going to be producing market intelligence reports where they think these are the tokens that are interesting and why. Um, yeah. And that will all be done by consensus. Um, and then there's this really interesting crossover with governance and prediction markets called Futarchy. And I think that's going Sorry, to be what? really huge. Futarchy. <laughs> what is, what is so that? Futarchy is this idea that you can use prediction markets to test the, the, the efficacy of your decisions. So I think the, um, the, the paper was written by a guy called Rob, uh, Robin Hansen called We Will Vote on Values and Bet on Beliefs. Mm. So if you have this idea where we, we vote on stuff and you say, we're going to make this decision, and then there's a prediction market on if that decision was the right so idea. Cool. So, for example, you might say, we will drop income tax. Like, is that good? Is that a good idea? And then you'll have a prediction market on three to three years out to whether it's a good idea. And then you use the prediction market to decide if it was or not. Um, and that's a really interesting way to potentially fully decentralize decision-making out to markets. So we're building the, the kind of core technologies um, that will allow that those two worlds to meet in the future. So that's okay, our kind of prediction market discovery bit. That's really interesting. I think when you mentioned um, market discovery, how you're using it as a tool to, um, I guess, look at which are like the good cryptocurrencies out there and which are mm -hmm. the bad ones. Right now, you know, people are getting rug pulled on cryptocurrency scams that are validated by the price initially um, mm -hmm. before anything else. So I wonder how your market discovery uses other indicators other than price to dictate, you know, whether or not it is legitimate or a scam. Yeah. And so really there's this kind of like dialogic due diligence process. So our goal is to, 
um, build on this kind of collective intelligence idea, which is a concept that I've been fascinated with for many years. And it's the idea that if you, there, there's a small number of participants who can actually look at smart contracts and, and you know, and even people who, who can't necessarily read smart contracts, but can get a feel for what's a legitimate project. You know, they're talking to the founders. The, there's, there's a lot of intelligence out there in the market. And our system will allow people to say, okay, I, I think this is going to be a good token. Here's why. So it's a kind of mixture of dialogue and prediction. Mm -hmm. um, and our, our sort of theory is that the, if we aggregate all the intelligence of a community, it'll be better better able to and then there's it's really easy to filter out a lot of the scams um yeah. you know, some of them don't even have websites you know so that that's yeah. not going to get a lot of votes um so yeah it's it's they can go up in price and price isn't necessarily the right metric it's and it, we've started building building out these kind of evaluation matrices for for going into projects um with the principle that you know if these projects are good it might be something our treasury might want to hold so we're like um socializing the due diligence process if you like that's very cool um and i think the second part was from what i was hearing correctly is that are you almost like hedging um you know decisions that get through on it's almost like you're able to like bet on whether or not a decision is going to be a good one or a bad one even though you know yeah. all voice credits went to so you know what value does that have for let's say me if I go, okay, mm -hmm. well, I, I put my voice credits against, you know, this certain like ruling that happened um, mm -hmm. and it went through, does that mean that yeah. I would then be able to bet against it or so is that how it would work? Potentially. Yeah. So th there's, um, so let's say we make a decision, which is let's change the monetary policy to, to give away more tokens for our um, liquidity mining process. So instead of giving a million tokens a month away, we're going to give away four. We could have a prediction market on whether that was good idea or not based on the token price in, say, three months' time. Mm -hmm. um, so if you manage to... Um, and then we have some kind of oracle that says, yep, that was good because it was a positive outcome for the network, you will literally earn money for betting on that being a good idea. So if you, if you thought it was going to be a bad idea, it was going to bad, negatively affect the token price, you would buy sort of no tokens for that. Um, but where I think it gets really interesting is, so you, you could make money from these decisions, but I'm really interested in this kind of reputation layer where you can prove that you make good decisions over time and you might use the prediction market as a tool for making decisions um, and it's all about this collective intelligence idea and if you have a history of good decision making we can give you more votes yeah um so we can actually give you more voting power more power in the system based on your provenance of decision making your history of decision making which i think could get really interesting yeah that's so fascinating so i guess all of this ties into I guess what you're calling the second layer governance, is there any other aspects um, of the second layer governance that we haven't covered yet? Um, yeah, so there's, the, the reason why we call it second layer governance is that um, there's decisions that are really high stakes decisions that you probably shouldn't let just open token weighted voting happen on. Yeah. Um, so for example, controlling the minting keys like we want to mint some new tokens to create, inflate new tokens to drive adoption. Um, you do not want that as an open token weighted vote because someone can literally just mint new tokens and, and rug pull everyone if by just buying up the tokens. So what we've conceptualized is that this should be the second layer governance, um, which is more deliberative. This is where the dialogue happens. It start, starts with like signaling um, so we have a we have an application called influence.vote, which is where you can influence the, the things that we're working on. It's you're signaling the applications we want to work on, um, what tokens we should hold, all that sort of stuff. And then we have a proposal um, application, which is then we're now voting on the priority of which proposals we want to do. And um, we have an AMA platform that we're building for sorting which questions we want the core teams to answer and, and other, other DAOs. Um, and we've got a final uh, decision 
application, which is where the really high stakes stuff happens. So that one, we, we sort of drop quadratic voting. We get to this binary yes, no idea. And yeah. that's the super high stakes one. And we, it's just hardening against governance attacks. Um, so it's just protecting the, the really high stakes decisions with all the deliberation that happens elsewhere. Um, so that's our kind of second layer governance idea. Um, and is implicitly about quadratic voting and funneling decision-making, capturing histories of decision-making. Um, we're working on zero-knowledge proofs to do private votes um, and things like that. So, yeah, we're, we're really excited about that. That's really where the, the heart of our system is going to be. It's about this new decision-making tooling. That's awesome. Um, so how much of this goes into the decentralized social trading aspect? Mm. So this is the bit that, yeah, we're, we're really excited about this. And I think that this is a, our kind of treasury stack, if you like. So yeah. um, all of these things add together to create the tools that allow a group of people to, um, to trade the market. So I'm really interested in the idea of what happens when markets aren't a one-player game. Yeah. So what happens when we, we socialize our due diligence um, what happens when we pool money and buy things and we've started to see NFT DAOs do this kind of thing and you see Pleaser DAO winning all the auctions because they're pooling money. So it gives you buying power. Um, so we've got this idea, this all ends in a kind of decentralized fund of sorts. Um, and that's where our social trading dynamic is. Um, and on the route to that, we're going to use our voting system to allow people to form little communities build portfolios and actually trade them with, with decentralized exchanges. So um, somewhere around next year, we're going to explore our own decks um, and allow people to trade multiple tokens by consensus. Um, so yeah, we're really interested in that. And essentially, this is going to be one of the hard problems with DAOs. DAOs are going to want to interact with the market, but doing it in a very open and public way means they can be front-run and you know the you know declaring your market action before you're going to do it is not necessarily a good thing. So yeah, um, yeah, and it's just a really interesting development trajectory that we're we're going to start exploring over the next few months. But it's going to be a, a probably a multi-year process to get to it. Yeah, I mean, I think there's just so many layers to how this could work, and so many different layers of complexity as we go in. Anything from you know, protecting the protocol itself and just things that are hard coded, maybe along the way that doesn't work or, you know, maybe some decisions along the way that just don't work socially as well. Um, mm -hmm. So let's see, you're talking about your, your governance on top of lots of different, I guess, protocols out there. And it's going to be like a Google suits of sorts. Um, how much, do you think this will affect like the, how frictionless is this going to be? Because when I think mm -hmm. about, um, you know, trying to work on different types of chains, it just becomes very expensive. It kind of just breaks over time. And that's why we're kind of seeing a lot of change just kind of like stay in their own bubble, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. What's your solution to enable like on-chain action between all the different blockchains out there using your system? Yeah, so it, we, we've just developed a, a, a sort of bridging protocol for allowing tokens to pass through between the different chains, certainly the EVM-compatible chains. And there's a few of these bridges out there. They're a little bit centralized still at the moment. So there's normally a kind of server which handles the, the messages that go between the two. They hold minting keys to the really high risk. In fact, we've seen a few really big hacks happen on bridges recently. So they're very difficult bits of software, and, and I'm I'm very interested in, in in platforms like Polkadot, which might be able yeah. to to sit in this kind of interstitial space between chains. But it is possible to pass um, sort of arbitrary messages between between chains using these these sort of bridge ideas. So I absolutely think we will get to the point where we've got. Uh, governance decisions, token votes that can pass these messages trustlessly between between chains. Um, I think there's already some examples. I think are they working on something like this at the moment between Polygon and Ethereum? Um, so I think this is a huge design space that um, will be super interesting. 
However, I'm, I'm kind of interested in how, how governance decisions do change between different chains. There's almost yeah. different cultural paradigms on, so the, the culture on Binance Smart Chain is very different to the culture on Ethereum. And I, I'm, I'm actually quite interested to see how decisions are different on these different chains. So although that's a kind of long way off, I think it's going to be quite interesting to see how, how different cultures almost uh, emerge on these different chains and how their attitudes are different, what the software is different. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about multi-chain governance, but it's, it's very, very early. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was going to ask about what are some weaknesses you see in new DAOs emerging? Because I know that a lot mm -hmm. of people are now launching their own DAOs and I'm sure that there are some aspects of oversight that they've not been able to kind of comprehend. Um, mm -hmm. What would be kind of like the top three weaknesses that you think people launching DAO should consider to, I guess, yeah, work better on? Yeah, so... I think there's it is very early and there there isn't huge amounts of great decision making happening yet. And I think yeah. there's so you'll you'll see um, everyone's kind of using this stack of of snapshot and discourse, which is just forums. And um, I think it's very easy to when you've got this open open field decision making, you can get completely lost in everyone has a voice and it's just all a bit chaotic and all a bit messy um so i think one of the things that we need to think about is this idea of filtering so like how do how do we um how do we stop this turkey turning into getting attacked by coordination problems and everyone shouting mm. each other and these you can fall into the uh, what's called the tyranny of structurelessness which is yeah. like the in an in an attempt to try and stay perfectly flat um all that happens is the power just flows to the people who control the minting keys or who control the, the management keys. Um, and it all just turns into a kind of facade of, of governance. And um, so I think the genuinely building um, iterative governance processes that involve reputation um, that is earned over time rather than just delegated for influence. Um, I think there's people who will rush into decentralization too quickly when the technology when the technologies just aren't there yet to um, fully decentralize the protocol layer, and that will will has done and will lead to um, catastrophic governance failures. So yeah. I think um, building good social processes around making good ideas float to the top. Um, not rushing into decentralization, hard decentralization before it makes sense. Um, and not getting too lost in this kind of governance minimization idea, the, the not trusting people to make good decisions um, and just essentially leaving the power with the core developers forever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, there's lots of work to be done and it'll, and it'll evolve in the same way that organizations have. So organizations have existed for thousands of years now. And even still, there are organizations that are a complete mess. And, but they still know, function uh, somehow. <laughs> like, that, that's function. the really and, interesting and is, part. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And this, it's allowing, um, allowing social process to evolve and iterate over time and being allowing them to be fluid, but ultimately aiming for minimizing bureaucracy rather than let it, letting it flow out into a river of forms and endless committees. Yeah, it was really interesting because you said something on Twitter about the balance between debate and bureaucracy. And I yeah. think that's really like the heart of it, right? Is that, you know, you want involvement, but then if there's too many opinions and there's too many decision-making power kind of spread with everybody, then sometimes things don't get made. Uh, sorry, things don't happen. But yeah, like you said, it's like super early. Um, it's interesting, like just how early it is and how now we've been able to actually talk about this, because I think this is something that people have wanted to see, you know, apply in the real world, not just in cryptocurrency, but, you know, in their government structures. And it never really seemed possible until, you know, Bitcoin came along and Ethereum and everything that's happening on Ethereum now. Um, do you think that in the future there's going to be 
you know, a DAO to rule rule them all? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I'm, I don't think so. The, the nature of permissionless systems mean we'll probably get so many DAOs. There'll be like, I, I think there'll be thousands of DAOs a day. Um, yeah. And in the same way that there isn't really, there will be large DAOs that, that hit, uh, that become very, very dominant in the space and, and very influential in the same way that we have large, you know, multinational companies that are very influential. Um, and I think we're already seeing the early sort of signs of that, but the nature of them being very open and permissionless means that there is going to be a huge amount of them and people will flow between them. Um, and they're always at risk of being uh, replaced. Un unlike um, these large companies that can develop hegemonic power just by, you know, closed sourcing everything and, and building a kind of black box that no one can look into that protects everything. DAOs are going much more open and, and fluid. So they're always at risk of being forked or uh, copied or, or simply just being um, usurped by some other more efficient DAO. So I think it'll be a very sort of frothy, constantly evolving space and, and one that moves in a much more rapid, rapid way than than organizations do. It'll just all be happen on light speed. Yeah. Um, so I think we'll get some very big ones, but they might not be very big ones for long. Mm, that's so interesting. It's almost um, like the complete opposite to what we experience in the real world now, where you kind of have these structures that everybody just follows along with. And even though it's very inefficient, you just kind of go with it. But then, um, yeah, I guess when we're talking about DAOs now, it's like, it's like, iterative social structures almost that people can kind Absolutely. of flow in between depending on yeah if if it's efficient for them or not i think that's such an interesting concept for you know how the world could look like in the future where we are like maybe no longer kind of bound by um our geographical location and it's more that we're all kind of a community that can jump between our beliefs and yeah what we're interested in um, yeah, well, thank you so much for coming on Prosper Podcast. If anybody wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about that? Um, so I'm at Dr. Nick A on Twitter. Um, you can follow our project uh, finance.vote with the letters dot in the, in the, in the middle on Twitter. Um, find us on Telegram, find our Discord. Um, yeah, and come, on, come and hang out with us. We're developing... Um, our governance processes, which are designed to allow anyone to come and get involved. So regardless of skill set, whether developers or artists or um, people who can write, anything, come get involved and we'll find you something to do and, and get involved in what we're doing. Awesome. Thank you so much.